This is the Life of Jesus podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. And for a full year, we've been looking at the life teachings and works of Jesus from the four Gospels put together in one chronological flow. Ben, we're, we're uh, heading around turn three, heading into the home stretch, I think they, they say, and we are getting ready to wrap this thing up. We're at week 50, episode number 50 today. We've recently looked at the crucifixion and resurrection and appearances of the resurrected Christ. And today we will look at his great commission. And if we have some time, we'll also take a peek at the ascension into heaven as we think about that. We're at we're at week 50. Now that should not put fear and trepidation into the ears and hearts of our listeners because even though we're going to stop at week 52, we're not really stopping. We're just pausing. Next year, we'll have season two of this. We're going to call it not the life of Jesus, but the mission of Jesus. And in that, we'll look at the book of Acts and indeed the rest of the New Testament. We'll talk to you more about that as this progresses over these next few weeks. But for now, let's take a look. Week 50, the Great Commission of Jesus. And when you, Ben, when you hear the word commission or even the phrase, the great commission, what comes to your mind? The great commission, uh, being set apart, uh, to do something. When I think of commissioning, um, being set apart to do something specific, I think about the great commission, the words of Christ, uh, prior to his ascension and his call upon the, the life of every Every one of his followers, it's not limited to a specific group. And so I also think when I think about Great Commission, one of the big things that I think about is the universality of the call upon every follower of Jesus. So it's, if it's universal in terms of all believers are part of the Great Commission, uh, how are we doing? What's the scorecard for the modern American church or the average American Christian? It's not great, Bob. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Not, it's a, not looking good. It, yeah, it's an it's an area of a uh, struggle. I think for the church. I think at one point, I think most of Western church history within the American context was dominated a lot by the kind of come and see approach. You know, build the church, people will show up. Um, while a majority of of uh, citizens within the American context maybe didn't go to church. There was a a huge uh, a huge number that did, and so you know, build the church, people come. And I think in that there was a sense of of loss surrounding uh, our understanding um, about what Christ has called us to to actually go and to pursue others, to call them into relationship with Jesus Christ and the understanding that every believer in Christ has a part to play in that. So it's not simply the the role of clergy or church staff that engage in great commission work, but it's it's all of us together collectively uh doing that. I I even will push that a little further. I I would say that clergy and church staff most most of us don't see our main role as the Great Commission sure. any longer. We have 
seen our role or, or described our role, I think, in the modern world as one of administration, of managing the church, managing the ministries and programs of the church, the people of the church being available for people in times of joy and anguish and everything in between. And I, you know, John Wesley, the, the founder of our Methodist movement, said years ago to his preachers, you have nothing to do but save souls. How far we've come from that call. Yeah, and I think part of that, uh, to your point, is that a lot of vocational ministry has turned into chaplaincy, hmm. in essence, and, and part of that is it's, uh, in, it's it, to your point, it's dealing with, uh, it's, it's engaging people and ministering to people in the midst of their joys, in the midst of their griefs, um, and there's aspects of discipleship that are, uh, that are a piece of that. Um, in, in some ways, teaching the local body, nurturing the local body, hopefully near uh, in their relationship with Christ, which should inevitably lead to the proclamation or bearing witness to, to Jesus beyond the walls of the church. But yeah, to, to your point, a lot of vocational ministry has transitioned more into what I would qualify as chaplaincy. Yeah, I have to say there are, there are times when when the internet goes down, not only I, but the entire staff at every church I've been at for the last 20 years says, well, I might as well go home. There's nothing I can do. <laughs> we, we, we are so, we're so inclined to see our ministry through technology and administration and pastoral care that if we don't have a pastoral care assignment lined up, like there's not somebody coming in at that moment for premarital counseling or we don't have a funeral that, that day. I mean, literally, if the internet goes down, we can't think what to do. And, and that's to me, is a, a symbol of how far we've come from embracing the Great Commission, yeah. as Christ is the, called. The irony is that you, you say that as we're recording a podcast. Yeah, with my <laughs> laptop open right now. Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's it. The reason we don't do the Great Commission is because pastors are busy doing podcasts. So that that could be the problem right here. So, well, let's look at it anyway. I guess we're we're already committed, so we'll we'll do this rather than um, going out on the highways and byways today. And let's take a look at what Jesus said. Now, it appears in a number of places, and we're going to look today at a few of those. One of those in Matthew chapter 8. 28, I'm sorry, Matthew 28, it's the most famous of all of them. It's labeled the Great Commission in many of the Bibles, where Jesus speaks these words in Matthew 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. number of components in there. One is the command to go, to not stay, not to stay put. We've kind of been joking about that here today, but the tendency is to, to stay where we are in our office, in our church, in our sanctuary, in our home. but 
Christians are called to go and then be actively involved in making disciples, leading people to faith, baptizing them in the name of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey what God's commanded, what Jesus has spoken in our lives. There are several components to lift up there. And as we think about those those verbs or, or tenses that are sort of verbish, uh, go, make disciples, baptize, teach, teach to obey. What stands out to you as the, the one where we might need a little bit of a push to start doing a better job of fulfilling the Great Commission? All three, crazy enough, because I see it as a cycle. And so part of it is, is that the, the lack of, in essence, of going, of uh, intentionally going and seeking to bear witness to, to others is a byproduct, oftentimes, of the discipleship itself. And so there's a component of discipleship where, you know, small groups will join around a table, they'll study the word, and it becomes kind of an amen course, I find, a lot of times. And so rather than confronting us with areas uh, of our own lives that are not aligned with Christ, including the call to go and to make uh, disciples, sometimes the small groups themselves can turn into kind of an amen course where if only those people outside the walls knew what we have here. And so everybody just sits in agreement around the word rather than allowing the word to challenge us in our relationship with Jesus Christ, because there is definitely a lack of going. And when I talk about going, I don't mean uh, necessarily going to, to feed the hungry, which is a need. It's something that we're called to do, but there is a real lack of going re- relative to the Great Commission and the work of the Great Commission in going to make disciples, which means going to verbally bear witness to Jesus, calling others into relationship with him. Yeah, it's, it's a critical call in our lives, and it's easy to, it's, using your your image there, of sitting in someone's living room at a small group gathering where people have driven in from 20 miles away, and they, they're gathered together, and then we kind of bemoan the fact that the church meaning the church building that we're part of, is not more full or our church is not growing when that very small group is not going to the next door neighbor to that house right. and building a relationship. Right. That's part of the Great Commission is, is that going. That teaching to obey to me also is a, a bit of a tripwire that is hard for us because I believe we've sort of adopted the idea that in the modern church, we're not supposed to be judgmental, which is true about the world, but I don't know that it's true about our relationship with other believers. In fact, we're called to, in Jesus' great commission, to teach each other to obey what Jesus commands. And so that implies that discipleship is more than just bring them in and get them wet, baptized, and they're members. Okay, we're all good. Now now live life any way you want. That's not what's being called here. What what we're called to is a change in our lifestyle. Yeah, discipleship at the core of it is transformational. It's the it's the transformed life. It's the the idea that the that the community of faith is a sanctifying community. And so if we are not growing in the likeness of Jesus, 
um, and, and really growing, um, to, to love that, all that he loves and to, to, in essence, despise that which he despises, then there's a disconnect there. Um, but I think a lot of times within the modern church, there is a lack of understanding relative, relative to the type of community that, that we exist in. And so we will have this, this high degree of belief around or, or want for what we call fellowship, where in essence, it's a fellowship that you could get anywhere else, sadly, rather than understanding the community itself as a sanctifying, transformational community that is commissioned and desires to grow up more fully into the likeness of Jesus. That's riskier, though, because it, people feel like, that, I think, that that risks the relationship if we're going to be that vulnerable with others so they can speak into our lives, or that hmm, risky, I use that word again, for me to step into your life and say, you know, Ben, there's some areas of your life that right. might you might want to consider whether they're in alignment with what God's best for you is. Yeah. And that risks our friendship if, yeah. if you and I do that. And, and the accusation oftentimes of being judgmental um, is more of a defense mechanism and a self-protection mechanism mm -hmm. than it is uh True. Yeah, you know, and so to that end, it's it's like the notion that if you come to me and you see something in my life that's not aligned with Christ, and you you in, in humility, because of your love for the Lord, your love for me, call that thing out in me and call me to repentance, uh, much like Nathan going to David, right? Right, right. And that's one of the things we need in this world is we need a lot more. Nathan's, and we have a serious lack of them within within uh, within many churches. And and when I say that, it is it's you go with a posture of humility. You recognize when you're confronted, as Jesus talked about uh, earlier in Matthew, when you're confronted by the the speck in your brother's eye, it, it calls you to consider your own brokenness. Where's the plank in my eye that I can go to my brother? In a, a spirit of humility, recognizing my own sin, recognizing the grace that God has poured out to both of us uh, through the work of Jesus Christ, and so we go with humility. But the greatest act of love um, in, in this in 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 our relationship with one another, one of the greatest acts of love is the humility and the boldness and the care to come to me when there's aspects of my life that are not aligned with Christ and point those things out to me. Yeah, Luke's version of the Great Commission. In Luke 24, Jesus said, Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That acknowledges that we have sins, which we do, and that we stand in need of forgiveness for those sins, which we cannot provide, only Christ can, and that we, we must repent. We must change our mindset, change our heart, and offer those things to God so that this message that we are taking to the world is not simply one of, hey, do you want to come to our church? But it's one of, do you want to have your life turned upside down so that this way of living and way of thinking 
can be upended by the salvific work of Jesus Christ. And that is, that's a message. I, I think we, we often think, well, religion's a private thing. It's a personal thing. And what somebody else does and thinks, there's nothing at Scripture I, that I've ever found that says religion's private. Right. That my faith is private. That my followership of Jesus Christ means that it's me and Jesus, and that's all I need. This is a different call to go out to preach a message in the name of Jesus of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, isn't it? Yeah, and that, again, uh, another huge issue that we face is that we have this sense of privatized relationship with Jesus within the American context. We talk a lot about our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And do we have a personal relationship with Christ? Absolutely. You know, we need to individually receive Christ. And then as a recipient of God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that should immediately draw me into community because I'm desperately dependent upon my, uh, my communal relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ for growth in Christ. That's the end game. The desire is that I'm going to consistently, longingly want and desire to grow more fully into the image, uh, uh, the image of Jesus. And so that requires that requires community, and that requires a, a community that is built on Jesus as Lord. Um, and so, to that end, there's going to be moments of grace-filled accountability where we recognize that there's an aspect of life that maybe we're not aligned with Jesus on, whether that's communally or individually, and we're going to highlight those things. We're going to call those things out. One of the huge issues that existed uh, within the Old Testament is that you had these prophets going to the people of Judah and the people of, of Israel and the northern kingdom and calling them to repentance and the cry of the people basically was stop judging us and placate our hearts. I mean, that was really what they were what they were longing for because they just wanted the prophets to come in and say, peace, 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 everything's okay when things were a complete mess. So self-centeredness is the enemy of repentance. Perhaps it's also the enemy of the call to witness that we think of ourselves and, and I'm good with God and my neighbor might not be, but that's his or her problem. Maybe another one of the, the challenges that keeps us from truly sharing our faith with those around us, maybe the challenge is fear. We're just afraid that we're going to say the wrong thing, not know what to say, not know what to do. They'll reject us. Maybe that's why Jesus, in at the end of the Matthew 28 passage, said, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I want to use that, that phrase of Jesus, I'm with you always to the very end of the age, to transition into a brief discussion about his ascension into heaven. What does it mean that Jesus is with us? He's, he's not here. He's ascended. He's in heaven. What does it mean that as we go out and embark on the Great Commission, that is, sharing our faith with the people with whom we live, work, learn, and play. Yeah, the people in our neighborhood live, ones we work with, ones we learn with at our schools, the ones we play with, sports teams, at the gym, the Y, whatever. What does it mean that Jesus is with us when we're doing that? 
I think at, at the very least, it should calm our fears a bit, what, shouldn't it? Yeah, I, I think that Jesus makes himself present with us uh, through the work and ministry of, of the Spirit. I think that is, is, and as Jesus has ascended into heaven, we recognize that, that he is sovereign over all things. He legitimately is the, the risen, living Lord. And so we have this, which provides an essence of calm assurance that, that Jesus is alive and as he's alive, so will I be, so, so am I. The Spirit is present with me to lead and to guide uh, into those conversations. And I think really one of the biggest barriers that we have, and not to, I, I know I probably overuse the phrase of Western church, but again, it's the context with which we live in. One of the biggest struggles we have is that we have this sense that, that the more we know, the better message messaging we have and the more convincing we are. And while, you know, our witness for Christ is born of this intimate and growing relationship with Jesus. Uh, we have this sense that we're just not prepared from the standpoint of, a, of having all the answers and having the right apologetic to convince the person across the table for us, rather than just actually heeding Jesus's call, which is to go and to bear witness, which is basically Jesus telling us, hey, just go tell my story and let the chips fall where they, they may. Now that happens in a relational context and we're given ears to listen uh, for, for those who we're talking to through, oftentimes through relationship and, and building bonds and people obviously seeing, in essence, Christ in you. Um, but that being said, we need to have, for lack of a better, like greater freedom to just relax, go tell people about Jesus like you would share about your kids. You know, you love your kids, you cherish your kids, you love your wife, you cherish your wife or your spouse, you know, and you have no issue speaking of Yeah, nobody's scared to whip out their phone and show pictures of their kids and grandkids. No, and in essence, like with Jesus, it's just saying, hey, this is who he is. This is who he said he was. This is what he's done. Rather than thinking we have to go to somebody and have an answer to every question that's ever asked and have some advanced apologetic, in essence, to convict them of something. It's the reason we are following up this year with our study next year in what does it mean to be on mission with Jesus? What does it mean that we're carrying out his mission in the world? And is, it, is this just something they did back in the New Testament days and we're done with it? Or are we all called to that? Let's look at the Ascension, and actually I'm not going to look at the Ascension passages. Those are in the Gospels. You can see that he ascended into heaven. But there's a few other places where we get a description or a picture of the power of that Ascension and what it means for us that Jesus promised to be with us always to the end of the age. Over in 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22 it says that Jesus has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. So you know, the next time you feel afraid or unsure or you don't have all the answers or something might not go your way, be assured that Jesus, who said, I am with you always, has angels, authorities, and all the powers of the world in submission to him. That's a pretty powerful partner, witnessing partner right there. 
over in Hebrews. I'll name a few of these off in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 3 to 4. It again talks about his ascension and says, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. And then finally, over in Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians 1, I'll pick it up in verse 20, where it says, God seated Jesus at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. These passages paint a picture of what Jesus is doing right now and this, this promise that he's with us always with all of heaven and earth and everything in between under his supreme authority. That should give us some comfort, shouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I got nothing else. Yeah, it should give us like comfort. It should be a, a complete assurance uh, to us, a reassurance to us. And uh, yeah, I mean, to, to walk in the light of that. And, to, and honestly, in essence, I think to learn that truth as we seek to live faithfully for to him, and so one of the one of the sad parts is a lot of a lot of us don't have the opportunity to, in essence, learn that truth because we fear taking that step. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. Why are we afraid of taking it? That's what I've been dancing around here. Like, what's what? What is the fear? My my belief on that is that. A, because of the context we live in, we think that everything is programmed. And mm-hmm. so there has to be a program. There has to be a lesson on it. Here's a three-step process, whatever. And I think the bigger issue is that it's a lack of intimacy with Christ that keeps us from living into his call. Yeah. And so I think it's more indicative of where our relationship stands with Jesus rather than a lack of preparation. I would say that, honestly, we are educated be, uh beyond our need when it comes to actually sharing the gospel. But the reality is, is that the intimate relationship uh, with Christ isn't where it should be if we're not living into that call. Well, that's a powerful word, convicting word for for me and maybe for others who are listening, that um, we we need to press into that relationship with, with him and then press into relationship with our neighbors our coworkers, our classmates, and the people around us, because that's what this is all about. It's, it's about relationship. And if we do that and do that well, then God will bring great results because we can, I mean, can you hear this? The angels, the authorities, the powers, the dominions, like everything is under his rule and authority, all of it. So we're just called to join in and partner with him in that. Well, that's this been a good discussion. We're we're actually have wrapped up now our look at the four gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is done, but we have two more podcasts left. 
because we're going to dip into the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, Jesus has some words that are words of Christ that are offered there. And so we will look next week at Jesus' word to the churches in the book of Revelation. And then we'll wrap it up in the 52nd episode by his promise to come again in the end of the book of Revelation. Folks, if you want to jump in deeper to all of this, go to our church's website, fishersumc.org, or our church app, and click on the Life of Jesus link. You can get more things related to this discussion we've had today, including daily gospel readings, the sermon that's related to this, and so forth. Until then, may God bless. Thank you.